I think we can all agree that learning is more fun when you do it with friends, right? So if one of your summer goals is to learn more about the science of reading and how to incorporate it into your classroom, then let me invite you to join our free summer book study. During the month of June, we are gonna be hosting a free book study for teachers just like you, where we are gonna work our way through the book, Shifting the Balance, Six Ways to Bring the Science of Reading into Your Upper Elementary Classroom. And we'd love to have you join us. We're gonna read one chapter a week and inside our book study Facebook group, you're gonna get to participate in things like our weekly Facebook Live, discussion posts, you're gonna get some really awesome freebies and the chance to win some stellar prizes. All of this is going to help you align your instruction with the science of reading next year. It's gonna be fun. And even if you don't think you'll have time to read every single chapter, still consider joining. You're gonna get a lot out of the group even if you don't have time to read the entire text. So I hope to see you this summer where we can all learn alongside each other. You can sign up at stellarteacher.com slash bookstudy. That's all one word, stellarteacher.com slash bookstudy. And I'll see you inside our group. You're listening to episode number 85 of the Stellar Teacher Podcast. Teaching literacy is tough, but with the right tools, you can be not only good, but great. Amazing. I'm talking off the charts impactful. Hey, I'm Sarah Marie, a literacy specialist with over a decade of experience working as a classroom teacher and school administrator. Tune in each week to this podcast to hear no fluff lesson ideas and strategies that will help you feel confident in your abilities to truly grow your students as readers. Are you ready? Let's dig in. Hey there, and welcome back to another episode of the Stellar Teacher Podcast. I'm your host, Sarah Marie, and as always, thank you so much for joining. I really do love putting together these podcasts for you, and I am super excited just about the content that we have planned during the summer. And speaking of summer, if you are a teacher who is entering your first week of summer vacation, congratulations on finishing the school year. Welcome to summer break. I hope your summer is filled with lots of time hanging out by the pool, catching up with friends, reading books, sleeping in, drinking coffee, whatever makes you happy. And for those of you who are still powering through for the next couple of weeks, hang in there. You are so close. Now, back to podcast topics. I am super excited about just the content we put together this summer. A couple of weeks ago, and I know we mentioned this on last week's episode, but we just put out a survey to our audience to find out what what do you guys want to hear about on the podcast? And there were definitely some common trends and themes. And anytime I see a trend, I'm like, okay, this is something that teachers definitely want to hear about. So I just have some really great podcast topics prepared for you guys. And I just get so excited when I record something thinking about hopefully what I record is helpful for you and encouraging and provides new knowledge and information. So during the month of June, we are going to do a whole little mini series all about the science of reading. And if you have been a reading teacher over the last year, then you've probably heard people talk about the science of reading on social studies. Maybe you have purchased some resources that say they're science of reading resources. Maybe you've seen blog posts or heard other podcast topics about it. And maybe you understand it. And maybe you're thinking, what exactly is the science of reading? And if I'm being honest, last summer was the first summer that I heard anything about this phrase or when I heard, you know, the science of reading. And I had a teacher ask me after a training or I think maybe even in in the middle of it, she's like, is this aligned to the science of reading? And I'm like, what is the science of reading? And 
for a brief moment, I had this like moment of panic where I'm like, wait a minute, is there like a new way to teach reading? Is there like, has, has there been this just like new discovery that I am completely unaware of? And so, of course, I was like, I, I support teachers in reading. I need to know about this. So I started doing research. And first of all, let me, spoiler alert, uh, the science of reading is not necessarily anything new. So if you sort of had that initial thought when you heard about it, it is not anything new. And I'm going to explain that here in a minute. But I have just been doing, I've been doing quite a bit of research. I've been reading on it. I've got quite a few different books, and I will link to those in the show notes as well. But of course, before I speak on anything on the podcast, I want to make sure that I fully understand it. So I have been spending quite a bit of time just learning about what exactly is the science of reading and how can we as reading teachers use it to become more effective and skilled at what we do. So during June, we're going to talk all about the science of reading, and I am super excited just to dig into it. So Basically, my goal with this very first episode is to explain to you what is the science of reading. And then in later episodes, I'm going to get to some of the more like practical application things like what does this actually look like in our instruction. But today it is really just to give you an overview of what the science of reading is. So to answer that question, what is the science of reading? The science of reading refers to the body of research about how we as humans learn to read. You know, this is a collective group of research, meaning it is, you know, lots of studies and articles that has been around for over 20 years. So it really isn't anything new. And the science of reading draws on research and information from educational psychology, but also it looks at cognitive psychology, it looks at neuroscience, it looks at linguistics, and it really is a combination of all of those fields to help us as teachers learn and understand how humans learn to read. The science of reading is really comprehensive and it's also quite fascinating. As I've been reading about this, I'm like, I should have studied linguistics because the study of language is really interesting and really fascinating. But I think it's important for people to understand that the science of reading simply refers to the body of research. And I feel like I see the term science of reading used. And I think a lot of times it's used incorrectly because it is research. That's what the science of reading is. It is the body of research. And really, when you look at the research, what is the research saying? The science of reading indicates that there are really five main pillars of reading. And in order for students to be successful readers, they have to have a foundation that is built on all five areas. So they need to have phonemic awareness. They need to have phonics. They need to have fluency. They need to have vocabulary. And they need to have comprehension. Now, I am not going to take the time to break down all of these elements because I have a lot of things that I want to cover in this episode in order to give you a decent background on the science of reading. But in the case that these five terms that I just mentioned, phonemic awareness, phonics, fluency, vocabulary, comprehension, and kind of any of these other sort of specific terms I mentioned in this episode, in case they are new to you or if you are slightly unfamiliar with what they mean, I have put together you know, what I've called really a science of reading teacher cheat sheet that lists off some of these terms along with a couple of visuals that I'm going to explain in this episode. So if you need clarification on what these five pillars are, go to the show notes and grab this little cheat sheet that has these terms defined as well as some other terms that I explained in this episode and some visuals that will hopefully help you understand the science of reading. So the science of reading just basically says that our students need to have a foundation built on these five pillars of reading. But in addition, you know, to make sure that our reading instruction is really centered around those five pillars, 
You know, the science of reading also suggests that our reading instruction is going to be most effective when it is explicit. That means that we are going to introduce, explain, and model new skills and concepts to our students, and that our instruction should also be systematic. This means that we want to make sure that what we are teaching, really regardless if it's, you know, phonics-based, vocabulary-based, or comprehension-based, that it is taught in a logical order that builds upon our students' prior learning. And that we also want to make sure that our reading instruction is responsive to our students. You know, this means that we are going to assess and determine what reading skills and concepts a student already knows and they already have. And then we're going to provide the explicit and systematic instruction that is going to meet our students' needs. Now, that is a very, very basic explanation of the science of reading. And it goes so much more in depth than that. And I am definitely going to dig a little bit deeper into two different models or frameworks that are hopefully going to further explain what our reading instruction looks like and, you know, how these five pillars of reading work together. But before I do that, I do want to take a minute to explain what the science of reading is not. The science of reading is not a new way of teaching reading. You know, if you look at those five pillars, those have been around for a long time. I remember when I was in college in my education program, I remember reading report from the National Reading Panel about these five pillars. And more than likely, you know, if you've taught reading for any length of time, you've probably taught or addressed at least one of those two pillars in your instruction. And I think it's important to note that just because the science of reading has been around for a long time and it is not a new way of teaching reading, that doesn't necessarily mean that 100% of our teaching practices have always been aligned with research-based practices, you know, or maybe you've been aware of these five pillars, but maybe it's possible that you always haven't provided balanced instruction across all five pillars. So I think just realizing that even if this is maybe your first time of hearing about all five pillars or how they interconnect, the research behind the science of reading is not new. This is not a new way of teaching reading. It is just getting, I think, a lot of attention, and it's like at the forefront of education, which is really exciting for reading teachers, but it is not new. The science of reading is not new. I think it's also really important to understand that the science of reading is not a program or a curriculum. There are programs, there are curriculums, there are you know resources that schools can purchase that are aligned to the science of reading. But again, remember, the science of reading refers to a body of research, and so there really isn't one single science of reading curriculum. And I think maybe most importantly, it's important to remember that the science of reading is not a one-size-fits-all approach to teaching reading. You know, you still need to adjust your instruction to match your students' needs. So even if your school, you know, buys and implements a new reading program this next year, you know, if they are saying we are shifting the way we teach reading, we want to make sure that it is 100% aligned to the science of reading. At the end of the day, teachers are still going to have to have the knowledge and understanding of how students learn to read in order to adjust their instruction to meet their students' needs. Programs do not teach students how to read. You know, curriculums do not teach students how to read. Specific resources do not teach students how to read. Teachers teach students how to read. And the program and the curriculum and the resources that you use can help you be a more effective teacher. But at the end of the day, you are teaching your students how to read. 
And the more knowledge and information you have about students learn to read and how the brain learns to read, the more equipped you will be to be able to effectively actually implement and use whatever program resource your school gives you or to find the resources necessary to supplement that. Okay, so a couple of things that the science of reading is not. So hopefully you're starting to develop a little bit more understanding. You know, I wish that teachers had more time to build their background knowledge and to really study and become experts in their fields because there is so much that goes into becoming a great teacher. But one of the great things just about all of the press and attention that has been given to the science of reading over the last couple of years is that teachers really now have easy access to just a ton of different resources. There are books, there are blog posts, there are courses, there are resources that are explaining the research on how students learn to read. And if you think about it, the fact that the science of reading is a body of research, I mean, who has time if you are teaching in the classroom to read through research and articles and digest all of that stuff? And so I think it's hard for teachers to actually dig into the research And so it's fantastic that there are other people who are, you know, consuming the research and putting together, like I said, books and resources and podcasts and articles that are easily accessible for teachers so that way teachers can learn this information and then hopefully put it into practice into their classrooms. The research presented within the science of reading really is an opportunity for teachers to build out their toolbox with knowledge, tools, resources, routines activities, lessons, ideas, and so much more that is just going to make them more effective in the classroom. And I think that is a good mindset to have when you are learning this because there's a lot of new information out there. I mean, I have learned just a ton in this last year. And so I think just like reminding yourself that, yeah, there's always going to be opportunities to learn more. This is currently an opportunity for me to learn more about how to be a more effective reading teacher. But the reality of it is, even if you got through all of it, there are still... We're just constantly learning as teachers. And so with the science of reading, we have an opportunity just to learn how to be a little bit more effective. Think of your teaching journey as a continuum. And, you know, so many of you have either gotten your training through a college university program or maybe an alternative certification program, you know, and more than likely at some point you've attended professional development along the way, and you've probably learned a thing or two about how to teach reading And more than likely, at some point, like I mentioned, you've heard about those five pillars that I mentioned at the start of this episode. And so more than likely, those five pillars are familiar to you. And since the science of reading is based on those five pillars, you really already do have some knowledge of the science of reading. You have a foundation that you can build your new learning on. And, you know, like I mentioned, the fact that now teachers just have this opportunity to continue to learn You have the ability to add knowledge, continue to discover more about how to be an effective reading teacher. And so just wanted to remind you a little bit that if you have been overwhelmed by hearing about all of the science of reading, you know, or if you are hearing terms and phrases, things like orthographic mapping or morphology or phonemes and graphemes, and you're thinking, wait a minute, I have taught reading for so long and I have no idea what these terms mean, that's okay. Do not let any of the unknown or unfamiliarity of these terms or just anything that is talked about in the science of reading because you already have a foundation of how to teach reading, and now we're just going to build upon that foundation. Again, like I said, hopefully that helps you get a little bit of a foundation, just science of reading. I think at the end of the day, it's important to know the science of reading refers to the research on how we learn to read. Now, what I would like to do is take a little bit of time to walk you through and explain two different models or frameworks that really explain and highlight how those five pillars of reading work together to create a skilled reader. Okay, so if you have done any sort of research on the science of reading or Googled it, you might have seen these two models on social media or on the internet. 
And these two models really explain and provide a visual for what the science of reading looks like and the interconnectedness of it. And those two models are the simple view of reading and Scarborough's reading rope. And like I said, both of these models really provide an explanation for how the five pillars of reading work together. And I'm going to do my best to kind of explain and describe them. But if you want to see the actual visual, I will link to these models in the Science of Reading Teacher Cheat Sheet that I have linked in the show notes. Okay, so let's start with the simple view of reading. The simple view of reading is a theory that was first proposed by two researchers, Go and Tunmer, in 1986. Again, this has been around for a while. And their theory explains that reading comprehension is the product of decoding and language comprehension. So basically, it's a math formula. If you take decoding, you know, a student's ability to decode, and you multiply it by language comprehension, you know, a student's ability to understand language, that is going to equal reading comprehension, their ability to make meaning from print. And possibly you've seen a visual for this. You might see it represented as D times C equals RC. Decoding times language comprehension equals reading comprehension. And the fact that this is a multiplication formula is both important and significant because what that shows us is that in order to get a positive reading comprehension score above zero, students need to have both decoding and language comprehension skills. You can't have one without the other if you want your students to experience reading comprehension success. So if a student has absolutely zero decoding skills, but they are really proficient with language comprehension, they're still not going to be able to read and comprehend a text that they're reading because their decoding is at a zero. And anytime we multiply anything by zero, it gets to be zero. And then the same. If a student is a really strong decoder and they can read every single word fluently, but they don't have sufficient language comprehension skills, and that is a zero, then there will be zero reading comprehension. They won't have the ability to make meaning from printed text. Let's talk a little bit about what does it mean to have decoding skills as well as language comprehension skills. So in order for a student to be able to decode, they need to have phonemic awareness skills, they need to have phonic skills, and they need to have fluency. Now, in order for students to have language comprehension, what we you know mean by that is language comprehension is really the ability to understand spoken language. And there are quite a few different subskills that are needed in order for students to be able to understand you know, spoken language. They need to have background knowledge. They need to have vocabulary. You know, they need to be able to actually understand the words that are being said. They need to have strong syntax, being able to understand. This really refers to, you know, sentence structure, how words and phrases are combined in sentences to make meaning. They need to have some understanding in semantics, being able to understand, you know, words, phrases, meaning. Sometimes there's multiple meaning words, you know, how words get used in context. And they need to have quite a few inferential, you know, language skills to go on with that. And so when students have both of these things, both decoding tools and language comprehension tools, then they have what they need to be able to comprehend the text. And reading comprehension is at its very basic level simply defined as the ability to understand printed text. Now, if you are an upper elementary teacher, maybe you are wondering, okay, decoding, language comprehension, What about all of the comprehension skills that are embedded into the standards that I'm required to teach? Where do those fit into the simple view of reading? And they do, okay? So remember that reading comprehension is the ability to be able to understand printed text. And so if your students are going to read, let's say, a fictional story, and maybe one of the standards is requiring them or asking them to identify the theme 
In order for them to do that, they need to have quite a few different decoding skills and language comprehension skills in order to get to that sort of level of comprehension, right? So first and foremost, they have to be able to read the actual story. So they need to be able to read the words in the story. So they need to have word recognition tools in order to read and decode what they are reading. But they also have to have strong fluency skills. Fluency really is, you know, automatic sight word recognition, you know, being able to see a word and read it fluently and quickly. And what we don't want is we don't want students to have to decode and break apart every single word in isolation. The whole point of phonics instruction and teaching students, you know, how word parts work together is so that way they understand, you know, what the word is. And when they see it enough times, it becomes, you know, part of their working memory. We don't want students just to memorize words, but we do want them to recognize them and be able to read them, you know, quickly and fluently. So word recognition definitely needs to be a strength if we want our students to be able to tackle the comprehension skill of identifying theme. But so does language comprehension, okay? So if students are going to identify the theme of the story, first of all, they have to have an understanding of, you know, that actual term. So here's some vocabulary. They need to be able to understand what theme is and what it's asking them to do. But they also need to have a sufficient vocabulary to be able to understand the meaning of the words that they are reading. You know, if it happens to be like a fairy tale and there are specific terms that are specific to the fairy tale, you know, or if it's a story that takes place with a different culture, they might need to have some vocabulary reference to be able to understand whether it's the locations or the holidays or whatever people are doing. They need to have vocabulary to understand the meaning of the words. But they also need to have an understanding of the story structure. So if students are reading, you know, a fictional story, that follows the traditional story mountain, they need to understand they're probably not going to be able to identify the theme until the end of the story after the problem and the resolution, you know, has taken place. And they also might need to have some background knowledge. You know, they might need to understand or be able to relate to the problem that the character is experiencing and the life lesson that they might learn as a result of that problem. So all of those things would fall under language comprehension. So if we want our students to be successful with reading comprehension and to be able to, you know, practice applying, you know, those comprehension skills embedded in the standards, they still have to have a foundation of decoding and language comprehension in order to get to those higher level reading comprehension skills that we have to teach in upper elementary. And when we think about reading comprehension in upper elementary, you know, and helping our students think really critically and deeply about the text and making meaning from what they read, I think it is important to realize that unless they have an established foundation of decoding and language comprehension skills, they will not get there. So hearing the simple view of reading, hopefully that kind of helps you see the connection between those five pillars of reading. And if you want to see a visual representation of what the simple view of reading looks like, go check out the show notes. I will link to it in that teacher cheat sheet. And the next model that I want to kind of talk about and break down is Scarborough's Reading Rope. And this is another framework that really helps explain how the five pillars of reading work together to develop skilled readers. And as I'm putting together this podcast episode, I'm like, you know what? This probably would have been easier to record as a YouTube video since there are so many visuals that really help explain the interconnectedness of how we learn to read. But hopefully I'm able to paint a clear enough picture of this model for you But like I said, I will link to it in the show notes as well. So if after my explanation, you're like, I want to see what that looks like, go check out the show notes. So with Scarborough's reading rope, what I want you to envision is a large rope or even a cable. And if you take a rope and you cut it and look at the end, you notice that a rope is created by twisting smaller strands together. And you might have, you know, 
two or three sections. And within those sections, there's even smaller sections. And sometimes within those, there's even smaller ones. You know, and the smaller strands of the rope are woven together. And the more strands there are and the more tightly woven they are, the stronger the rope becomes. The smaller strands really work together to help strengthen and reinforce each other. So even though the individual elements of the rope are very tiny, small strands or even just small threads, but together, when they're woven together, they help create a really strong and durable rope. And reading is very similar to a rope. You know, you can think of each strand as one of the single elements of reading. And when woven together, they help strengthen and reinforce each other. So in isolation, each individual element is not going to create a strong and skilled and successful reader, but when combined and woven together, they help support and create a strong, successful reader. Scarborough's reading rope is really divided into two main strands. You have a language comprehension strand and a word recognition strand. And hopefully those sound familiar because they are the same two factors that are put into the simple view of reading. And within each of the language comprehension strand and the word recognition strand, there are smaller strands that when woven together, you know, they are needed in order for students to show proficiency. So, for example, in order for students to have word recognition, and if you looked at a visual of this rope, you would see that they need to have phonological awareness, they need to have decoding, and they need to have sight word recognition. Again, these should sound familiar because they're also part of this simple view of reading. And in order for students to have language comprehension, they need to have background knowledge, they need to have vocabulary, they need to have familiarity with language structures, they need to have verbal reasoning, and they need to have literacy knowledge. And again, it's basically all of the elements that we see in the simple view of reading just presented in a different way. And again, I could spend probably entire episodes on each of these digging into all of them. And I definitely want to make sure you understand, you know, phonological awareness, decoding, sight word recognition, background knowledge what those specific terms mean and examples of what that looks like in our instruction. And I break all of those down in that Science of Reading cheat sheet. So definitely go grab that if you want to know specifically when we say background knowledge, what does that mean? Or when we say, you know, literacy knowledge, what does that specifically mean? So you can see kind of the specifics of that. But I think the important thing to realize is think of this analogy as we weave them all together, you know, into a rope and reading is done in a very similar way. And there are a couple of things that I really, really like about Scarborough's rope and using this as an analogy for how we teach reading. I think, first of all, it highlights the interconnectedness and complexity of teaching reading. You know, I think oftentimes due to our schedules and the way the standards are written, we often teach things in isolation and we don't always take the time to think about how our spelling and vocabulary connected to comprehension or how can I present these things in a way that is, you know, showing students the connection. So that way they can use skills from all across our literacy block to help just strengthen and grow their overall understanding of what they're reading and writing. But I also think one of the benefits of this rope is that it provides a roadmap for instruction and intervention, especially in the upper grades. You know, if a student is struggling with reading and you are a third, fourth, or fifth grade teacher, it can be really hard to figure out how to best support that student. Like, where do we even begin? You know, but if you use Scarborough's rope as a way to really assess a student's ability and plan out intervention, we can really identify, you know, some of the very small components of where we might need to focus our intervention on. You know, so first and foremost, we want to make sure that that student has strong word recognition skills. 
you know, it's going to be ineffective to help support students with comprehension if they don't have the tools needed to read the words. And so we can, you know, make sure that they have the sight word recognition, that they have a strong foundation in phonics skills, that they have, you know, phonological and phonemic awareness. And so if they have all of those things in place, then we can address language comprehension. But I think even within language comprehension, this model highlights how many factors really contribute to comprehension. And I'll kind of just break down and explain a few of them. So if you think about like background knowledge, you know, if a student has a solid foundation in word recognition, they're going to be able to read the text. And if every other aspect of language comprehension is there, they've got the vocabulary, they've got the literacy knowledge, you know, they've got the the syntax and the semantics. But if they're missing background knowledge, they have no way to connect the topic to something that they know about. It's completely foreign to them. You know, that one element is still going to impact their comprehension. Sentence structure, I think this is another thing, and I've read a ton about this this last year and have just a lot of ideas to help build your knowledge with this as well. But sentence structure really is the ability to understand how words and phrases are combined to create meaning in a sentence. And if a student is not able to take a complex sentence and really break it down into the very simple noun phrase and verb phrase to understand the who or what and, you know, kind of the action, what is happening— they're going to struggle to pull meaning from the complex sentences they read in texts. So even if they have the background knowledge and the vocabulary, if they don't understand how words and phrases work together in sentences, they are going to struggle with comprehension. And so I love how really in-depth Scarborough's Ropes breaks down the language comprehension side of things because it really just gives teachers so many more ways to identify and pinpoint specific skills that they can teach their students to help them grow as readers. And then the other thing that I really like about Scarborough's Rope is how it shows that, you know, teaching reading is simply not a checklist, and it's definitely not like a linear checklist. If you think about it, when we are weaving a rope together, we are constantly weaving in the strands over and over and over. So you might grab a phonics strand and then a vocabulary strand and then a background knowledge strand and a sentence structure strand and then back to the phonics. And so we're constantly weaving in all of these strands. And we're building on, going back to the explicit and systematic way we, you know, students learn, we're constantly building on what students know just to continue to strengthen it. So it's not like we're going to go through and teach all the phonics skills and then all of the vocabulary and then all of the literacy knowledge. You know, all of these things are constantly reviewed and spiraled and build upon just to help strengthen students' overall comprehension. Because at the end of the day, comprehension is the goal. That's what we want. We want students to read and understand the text. But the reality of it is we have some students that come to us with a lot of gaps just in the tools that they have in order to reach comprehension. And so Scarborough's Rope highlights, here's all the different ways that we can support students who might be struggling with reading. And I think when we are constantly adding to our students' knowledge and providing them with additional tools and knowledge, it is going to help strengthen their ability. And I also think it helps give them, you know, confidence because it's like, okay, it's not just this one thing that works together. It, you know, it just helps them realize, I think, the the interconnectedness of everything that they are learning. Again, hopefully you can visualize the rope. If not, check out the teacher cheat sheet I have linked in the show notes, and hopefully you'll be able to visualize it a little bit better. And then hopefully hearing about these two models gives you a little bit better understanding of exactly what the science of reading is. Like I said, it is the body of research that refers to how the human brain learns to read. Okay, so this episode really was just an overview of what the science of reading is. And I know teachers are always curious and interested in the practical application of things. And trust me, those things are coming. But like I mentioned at the start of this episode, I really do think it is important for teachers to have a strong understanding and knowledge of what the science of reading is. 
because it's going to make your application of those activities so much more effective if you really understand how do these lesson ideas and strategies and activities help your students grow as readers. You know, when you really understand how students learn to read and you understand how all of these elements work together, it's going to really help you know which activities to prioritize, which, you know, lesson ideas are really going to benefit your students. Because like I said, at the end of the day, teachers are the ones that help their students learn to read. And I could share tons of different practical ideas and applications, but if it's not actually going to address the area that your students struggle with, It doesn't matter how great the lesson idea is. So the more knowledge and understanding you have, the easier it's going to be for you to select and plan those activities that are really going to help your students grow as readers. Now that we have really set a foundation for what the science of reading is, when we do get to those really practical application episodes, you have a much better understanding of why they're important and how you can incorporate them into your literacy block. A few things before we wrap up this episode. Now, first of all, if any of the terms I mentioned in this episode are new to you, or if you really want to see a visual of the Simple View of Reading or Scarborough's Reading Rope, check out the show notes for my Science of Reading teacher cheat sheet. And then over the next two weeks, my goal with this podcast is really to provide you with some more practical lesson ideas and strategies that you can put into practice in your classroom that are going to help you strengthen your students' word recognition and language comprehension skills. So next week, I am bringing on my good friend, Michelle, from The Colorful Classroom. She is amazing, and she is going to talk all about phonological awareness in upper elementary. And then the following week, I'm going to be digging into some of the components of language comprehension. And then the following week, I am planning on doing more of a Q&A style episode where I will answer any listener questions specifically about the science of reading. So if you have a question you want me to answer, and I didn't answer it today or in the next two episodes reach out to me on Instagram or send me an email. I'll link to both of those in the show notes. And I've already gotten quite a few questions, things like, you know, what does the vocabulary morphology instruction look like? Or how do I fit word study into whole group and make it meaningful? Or what does the science of reading look like in upper grades? So any question you have, I'm going to do my best to answer as many as I can, but that will be kind of the final week of our series. And then later in the summer, we are going to be talking about small group instruction and word study. And again, my goal is, is to help you get a little more insight and how you can make sure that you are incorporating all of the five pillars of, you know, effective reading instruction into your literacy block in those two sort of areas, small group instruction and word study. And then finally, let me just offer a bit of encouragement because anytime I can just encourage teachers, I want to take advantage of that. Let me remind you, you are doing an amazing job. You are already an amazing reading teacher. And teaching reading is challenging. It is hard. I mean, even just as I was putting together this episode, I was like, oh my gosh, there is so much knowledge that teachers have to have in order to be effective at what they do. Because teaching reading is challenging. It honestly might be the most challenging subject to teach. It's definitely not straightforward and every student is different and there's so much that goes into it. And I think that anytime that there is a shift or in a change in what is expected of us, it can feel overwhelming. And honestly, sometimes it can feel personal. It's like, you know, someone is telling you that what you were doing was wrong or not correct or ineffective. And, you know, if your school is adopting a new curriculum, or if your district is saying that you need to teach reading in a new way, or if they are giving you a new set of reading guidelines or expectations, do not let that overwhelm you. And remind yourself that you have always done what is best for your students and that now you just have an opportunity to learn a few new strategies and tools to add to your toolbox, and you're just going to become even more effective. And again, at the end of the day, you are the expert in your classroom, 
You know your students the best, and you get to decide how to take your knowledge and understanding of how to teach reading and put it into practice. So you're doing an amazing job, and I know you're going to continue to do so this next year. I hope you found this episode helpful. And if so, I'd love to hear from you. Reach out to me on Instagram. I am at the Stellar Teacher Company, or you can send me an email, sarah at stellarteacher.com. Let me know if it was helpful. Let me know if you have any questions you have, and I will for sure see you back here next week. So have a stellar week, my friends. Thanks so much for tuning in to the Stellar Teacher Podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode and are finding value in this podcast, it would mean the world to me if you would follow along and leave a five-star positive review. This helps me spread the word to more and more teachers just like you. And don't forget to join me over on Instagram at the Stellar Teacher Company. You can always find the links and resources from this episode in the show notes at stellarteacher.com. I'll see you back here next week. 